Hi, welcome to Bovine Science with BCI. I'm Brad White, joined today by Dr. Bob Larson, and we're going to be talking about herd health topics. Hi, Bob. Hey, good morning, and let's talk about bulls. Yeah, so bulls today is what you wanted to talk about, <laughs> and really kind of a focus on the multi-sire paddocks or multi-sire pastures. And you've done some research there relative to what makes a difference in how many cows they're getting bred. We'll post links to those articles that you've done, as well as what are some of the behavior differences. And I'm going to start out asking you how well, we talked last time about predicting how well bulls are going to do at their BSE. I want to talk this time, how well can I predict that a bull is going to do well in a multi-sire paddock? That's a question that, honestly, we haven't, as the cattle industry, delved into enough. And the answer is, there is a great amount of variability in the number of calves sired by each bull in a multi-sire pasture. And if there's any pattern to that, it's that the pattern is pretty consistent in that the top, depending on the number of bulls in the pasture, but let's say you've got four or five bulls, the top one or possibly two bulls are likely to actually sire well over 50% of the calves or over 50% of the calves. And one or possibly two bulls may sire ex very few. And then you've got one or two in the middle that are kind of in the middle. And that can be quite frustrating when you've got a lot of investment. You've purchased a bull that is high genetic worth and he passes a BSE. He has good semen quality because one of the questions is, well, is it because they're not mating? So let's talk about those bulls that are not getting very many calves out of that multi-sire pasture. Is it because they're not mating or is it because they're mating, but those cows aren't conceiving to that mating? And that the real answer is we don't know for certain what percentage of each of those causes is for failure to have offspring, but we think a fair amount out of it is they're not mating. There are certain bulls that aren't getting out there and mating, and it's a little bit different than just libido. We've talked about libido, the desire to mate. There's some differences between bulls. We also know that anything that makes those bulls a little bit sick or a little bit lame will decrease libido or the sex drive. But there's also something else which is dominance. And there hasn't been a lot of work done on dominance looking at in a multi-sire pasture. The most dominant bulls will sometimes actually kind of herd the other bulls away from the cows and not allow mating. And the frustrating thing is, and this was some work done a number of years ago, but that dominance and libido are two different traits. So the way I like to talk to students about it is the bull can be a lover or he can be a fighter, and those two things don't have anything to do with each other. So a, a lover is one that has high libido, but he also— I figured that, I figured that yeah, part okay. out. So, but you could have a bull with low libido, doesn't really want to mate cows that badly, but he's a fighter. And so he keeps other bulls from mating cows. And so we have two different behavioral traits that we need to monitor in, in a multi-sire pasture. And one is kind of the, are they out there mounting and breeding? So that would be kind of an indication of libido, but also kind of watch those bulls really closely is what's the bull to bull interaction going on there? Are, are there some of the bulls being really pushed to the side and not getting an opportunity to breed much? The problem with what I just said is, how are you going to monitor that? How are you going to do that? It's going to take a lot of time monitoring that breeding pasture. And that's something we don't traditionally do. 
Let's break apart some of what you just said, because you talked about several things. Love the passion about bulls, because you've done some research in this area. And the first thing that I kind of want to focus on is you did some work with Dr. Cushman in Nebraska, where you looked at data where they had genetic data on the calves, and you could track back, and you could actually say which bulls sired which calves. And that's where you said in these multi-sire paddocks, in a lot of cases, those were four to six bulls. You would have one or two bulls siring the majority of the calves, and one or two bulls that weren't siring very many. Was that age-related? Was there anything that you could sort out to say, okay, well, if I know this going in, this bull is going to sire more and this bull is going to sire less? We couldn't find a real strong relationship, but this was breeding pastures up at the Meat Animal Research Center, and they already avoided putting really young bulls with mature bulls. So we didn't have extreme age ranges, but you had some age ranges. We didn't see an effect of, you know, with the first step being, well, don't put yearling bulls in with old bulls. But once you've done that, we didn't really see another pattern. So then let's take that into what can I do with that piece of knowledge, knowing that there's not going to be, and we always assumed there's not an even distribution, but boy, was it lopsided, right? Yeah. So I think one of the things I would think about, and what counsel would you give me if I'm going to go out and I've got a really good bull, and maybe it's a $10,000 bull, and I really want his genetics, how should I approach it knowing that if I put him in this multi-sire environment, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, and, and I wish I knew more of exactly what to do. There's two things you can do. One is put him in a single sire environment and again, monitor for behavior, make sure that he does have strong sex drive and he's out there mating cows and put him in a single sire pasture. But it's all relative. If you talk about his libido and his dominance yep. behaviors, if he's by himself, it is what it is. Well, he's the right. Top as long bull as he's doing pasture. his job, he is the bull. Right. But I recognize that what I just recommended doesn't work on a lot of ranches. We're not going to have single sire mating pastures in large herds. So that was one option I gave. And I don't really like it, but you asked. I paid a lot of money for a bull. How do I make sure that I get a bunch of cats? So out? you could reverse that and say, I need to make sure that my bull battery is relatively even and economical across the board. Because I think that the challenge is you say, hey, I might spend a lot on this one bull and hope he does most of the breeding. And I'm going to put him in with some other bulls that maybe are a lesser quality may not be a good idea because you can't tell which I, bull is going to do better. At work. I really can't tell. And we're not picking up information at the breeding soundness exam. Because again, in the study that we did, all the bulls passed a breeding soundness exam. And they actually, you know, we're pretty confident that they had quality semen and could deliver that semen. And so, yeah, I think that's exactly right. Be careful how you invest in genetics from the bull side and kind of be aiming at the bull battery, not individual bulls. The other ideas that have been thrown around and please understand that these are just hypotheses and not proven but i know of ranchers that will move bulls around so they'll kind of pay attention and if a bull is particularly dominant they will move him to a different pasture and with the hope that basically then some of the less because there's always a hierarchy and so if the bull that was second or third down the totem pole he'll step up and we think that bull will you know, compensate and get more calves. I'm not sure that that's well, because I'm going to go back to the other research that you did. And Caitlin Abel was the grad student, led that project and looked at video monitoring mm -hmm. two bulls. And I know that was 20 half project. And you watch what happened and you could clearly see that one bull was dominant over the other bull. 
But when we went back and you count up the breeding events, the bull, who was apparently not dominant, had a lot more breeding events. He they act- just occurred he- at different times of day. And he was sneaky about it. Yeah. So that would be an interest. Or Back to my, the less dominant bull was not a fighter, but he was a lover. And he got his breedings in, but he had to be kind of sneaky about it. Which was an interesting project of itself, but it was... Which what you just said, though, was maybe I should move the dominant bull around, and maybe I should, maybe it's not bad, but we can't see, unless you're standing there watching full-time, that study was eye-opening because Mm -hmm. the number of breeding events that occurred, and, and of course they were with heifers, small paddock, so that you could observe them, but if you're not there all day, you miss a lot. Right. So when I think about different herds in different situations, if you have really large herds out on range situations where it's difficult to monitor those bulls, I think what you need to do is what you recommended is, is you're really investing in bull batteries and you're spreading your investment across bulls that are what you think are relatively similar rather than trying to put your money into one and just hope he's the bull that sires the most calves. If you're in kind of a a situation where you can monitor more aggressively or more diligently, I think spending time in the breeding pasture and really watching what the bulls are doing, one level up, which I don't think very many herds really have the capacity to do, but could, is put different colored chin ball markers on the bulls and honestly monitor how much mating is going on from different bulls. So if I've got... But what do I do with that information? Well, this is what I would do is if you had a bull that was, so I put, you know, green paint in one bull and blue paint in another bull, and, and I'm monitoring how many cows are mated by each bull and if it's way out of whack i could either remove the most dominant bull which sounds a little crazy but i put him in with other cows or i take that least dominant bull but i like his genetics and i put him with maybe that's where i put a single breeding pasture so basically what i'm saying is bull behavior adds a level of complexity that as bull prices are pretty high we need to manage that investment on the bull side and try to get as much use out of bulls that aren't breeding as many cows but have some genetic value and that's going to take more management than what we typically do okay so now i'm going to push a little bit on you because sometimes you've given illustrations of yeah i got a big herd i got to have lots of bulls they're grazing a lot of area and so in those cases, sometimes, in fact, what happens is they'll split up, right? One bull go with some cows and one bull go with some cows. Yeah. But you talked about managing the economics, and I know you've got a spreadsheet that details this. And I want to say that there are times we have an extra bull in the pasture because I had a bull go bad in the past, and I want that insurance policy. Is that an economic way to manage bulls? You know, and, and I, I've done that too. And the more I look at it and the more I think about it, that's not a great insurance policy. Because back to the paper we said, the way we ran the paper was the bull that sired the most calves sired about 50% of the calves in that pasture. The bull that sired the least amount of calves was almost none or very few. And then the middle bulls, whether that was two, three, or four bulls in the middle, kind of did what you'd expect them to do. It's expensive to keep a bull out there if you don't need it. So in that situation, throwing another bull in doesn't change the number of cows that gets pregnant. This social hierarchy limits the value of just adding more bulls to a breeding pasture. 
So we can put your spreadsheet up, but I, I think it's you should look at bowl cost on a per pregnancy. And so if I add more cost to that area, and now we have to get into what's the bowl to cow ratio. So, mm-hmm. so when you're talking about these numbers, what bowl to cow ratio are you thinking of? Mature bulls, mature cows. Okay. I'm going to go with what kind of industry standard is, which is one to 30 to 40. You know, So one bull to 30 cows, up to maybe one bull to 40 cows. And I think that's a pretty good number. The reality is we don't have a ton of research, and the research that's been done basically says, well, some bulls could handle 60 cows, and some bulls could handle 10 or 20. But it's not based on their passing their BSE. It's based on their libido. Libido and and dominance. Yes. And so the reality is we don't have a good way of predicting that. So I'm pretty comfortable with kind of the industry recommendation of that 30 to 40 cows. And I see a lot of herds that are aiming in that direction, and it seems to work pretty well. What I ask because of my spreadsheet is, could I get that a little bit higher? Could I get it up to 1 to 40 or maybe 1 to 45 and get away with that? And I just, I don't know. I would like to because it's my cost per pregnancy down as long as my pregnancy rate stays up. Yeah, that's the risk, right? That's right. the risk is if it does go down a little bit, that that then my be cost a, per pregnancy goes up. Yeah, absolutely. It could be a challenge. But I think it's worth doing the math. And in your spreadsheet, you've got things like what was my bull cost and how long do I keep that bull? And really what drives it, if it's economically efficient or not, is back to that ratio, right? So you talked about going up on the ratio, but I think sometimes you end up, we end up going down, right? If you say it's 1 to 20, 1 to 15, all of a sudden my cost per bull per pregnancy goes goes way up. So what do I do to manage to make sure that those, if I'm right on that edge, I'm at the one to 30, I got to make sure that bull does his job throughout the breeding season. What can I do besides a BSE? We're going to do a BSE before we start. What else? I think that, let me start by saying, I think a breeding soundness exam is one of the most important things we do as veterinarians to ensure that at least we start with a bull at the start of the breeding season that has the capacity to probably get cows pregnant. Now, what I'll admit, I wish that when I was in practice, I had pushed in breeding season evaluation more. And by evaluation, a lot of times just spending time watching. And I'm watching, and I, I need to watch, you know, body condition score changes, limping, just amount of time that the bulls are out with the cows trying to mate. Now, as you get into the summertime breeding season and things like that, a lot of the mating happens at night. You're not going to see a mating. You I, can't. T- people saying, oh, we should go watch the bull mate cows. Well, good luck. Unless yeah. you unless you want to sit out there all, all, all night. And so I recognize those challenges. But I do think even just from the standpoint of I think some of the times these bulls don't perform well is they are a little bit lame or having other health issues or lameness issues. And identifying that earlier in the breeding season is useful. So I would not only push breeding soundness exams before the start of the breeding season, I'm really getting more insistent about spending some time during the breeding season really watching the bulls if for whatever I can evaluate, body condition, health, mobility, anything I can watch. And if I see some mating, that's... By the time body condition changes, it's too late. But many of the things that go wrong with bulls, you can observe. Broken penis, yep. physical damage, lameness. He can't I agree that bull body condition score due to nutrition alone changes slowly. If it's due to illness, it can change a lot faster. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, but watching that bull, make sure that he's mobile, make sure that he can see okay, make sure that everything looks good, and a glance at his abdomen to make sure everything looks normal there, testicles look normal. 
it doesn't fix everything, but it certainly helps you identify some of the common things that could go wrong with bulls during breeding season. Because I've been in those situations where we'll look at the bulls when they come off, and we've had a bull with a broken penis. We've had a bull with bad feet. We've had bulls with, you know, obvious problems that if I had known that early in the breeding season, I would have pulled him out, brought another bull in, those types of things. And honestly, we weren't watching closely enough until the breeding season ended. So that's part two to your plan is one, watch through the breeding season. And then two, make sure I've got a backup plan. Where am I going to get an extra bull if I have another bull if I need one? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. These guys are, you know, we t- I spend a lot of time talking about cowherd fertility and heifer development and things like that. But the bulls are probably the most important part of this equation because of the number of cows that they impact. And there's several opportunities as we've talked through relative to planning for what you're going to do for your bulls in season. The first part is which bulls am I going to purchase and how am I going to distribute them to get the cows bred? I would encourage you to look at that spreadsheet that we'll put up that has the calculator relative to what's my bull cost per pregnancy. It's a pretty simple calculator. You can create one, but have a look at that. And then we'll also put up some of those papers we talked about. Thanks, Bob. You betcha.